0: The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. If you'll uh, remain standing and turn in your Bibles, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We continue making our way through this epistle. We're in chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 6, chapter 6, page 979 in the Pew Bibles looking just at one verse this evening, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 6 and beginning in verse 14. Let's give uh, careful attention to this, for this is the the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Amen. That's far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord we bless you for every word of this your holy word and for the privilege we have of hearing it read and receiving it again this evening your word is truth lord god and so we pray that you would come by your holy spirit the spirit of truth and sanctify us by your truth would you open up our eyes lord god that we might again behold wondrous things from your word and we pray that you would use it in our lives o lord that by the power of the spirit We might be those who abide in Christ and bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be his true disciples. Hear us, Lord, and bless us. For we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I think probably uh, many of us, some of us, many of us in here are, are old enough to remember the first major the the launching of the first major television campaign of the most popular sneaker brand in our country now, the year was nineteen eighty seven the company the brand was nike and i don't know how much of the company's success through the years is due to that one particular uh, uh, campaign, that one slogan, but it's amazing how popular it became. And I think it, I was thinking this past week, I think it's still popular enough that everyone knows it. Nod your heads if you're familiar with that three-word slogan. Okay, just yell it out. Okay. Just do it. Okay, good. Everyone, everyone knows that. Uh, I did a quick Google search just to read about the history of that this past week, and I found these interesting words, quote, the brilliance of the Just Do It campaign lies in its simplicity and emotional appeal. The slogan became a universal call to action, inspiring people to pursue their dreams and overcome obstacles. It resonated beyond sports Tapping into the spirit of ambition and perseverance, end quote. Uh, Quite a wealth of information there, I suppose, for a discerning Christian. There's plenty of material for engaging in some worldview analysis, right? We should think about that a little bit. And indeed, I think the spiritual language of this section in Ephesians in which we find ourselves, it reminds us that we are caught up in a collision of worldviews, a collision of two kingdoms, one kingdom that is human-centered, me-centered. I can attain my dreams. I can overcome obstacles by my strength. All I need to do is tap into the spirit of ambition, tap into my own spirit. I can simply just do it. And then there's the other kingdom, that kingdom that is god-centered, christ-centered. I think our verse this evening helps us to think about that. But now what made me think of that slogan were uh, what was some comments I read by by Dr. Baugh in his commentary. He suggested that as we transition from the previous verses to our our verse. Today, that in a sense, we've gone from a section where, where we've been shown that in the armor of Christ, we are able to do it. We are able to stand. In some ways, the simple message today is, so do it, right? You can do it just Do it, obviously, for the Christian, that statement needs to be qualified by the proper context of gospel grace, God's kingdom grace. And yet, in some ways, that's the simple message of our text this evening. What we need is not Nike sneakers. (laughs) We need those shoes, which are part of the the, the armor, and we'll see that next week. But God has given us his armor such that we are able to to stand. And so Paul simply writes, stand therefore. As you, as you look at the verse, Paul suggests and convinced me that this is the case, that the ESV translation doesn't do the best job of translating these Greek participle phrases. It's a bit bit clumsy when it uses those English participial clauses, having fastened and having. Put on this really is it 's a command to do something, and I think it 's probably better as he suggests to translate it this way. Stand fast then, and belt up your waist with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness, or perhaps as others translate it we could we could uh we could render it this way. Stand fast, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist and by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. At any rate, this evening, we're considering just two, com- two components of the Christian armor, and we're, we're simply commanded to stand fast by putting them on. That's our simple message this evening, that, that God calls us to stand fast by putting on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. As we unpack that message this evening I have just two main points for us. I want us to see how these words reveal two things. First, how they reveal God's own character and work, and then secondly they reveal God's saving God's saving grace to and in the Christian. So that's what's before us this evening. Consider first then, God's own character. And work. It's not very often that we preach an entire sermon on just one verse of the Bible. In fact, as I was thinking about it this week, I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon on just one verse. I must have. Uh, Charles Spurgeon often did, and I don't claim to be Charles Spurgeon, but there is good precedent for doing this. Uh, and we, we've slowed down our pace a bit. And by the way, if you find yourself a bit impatient with how slowly we're working through this section uh, of the letter, uh, all I can say is this. It was Pastor Holt's idea. So, like, Blame him. But seriously, as we meditate on this one little verse, I think we find that it's truly rich even in terms of what it reveals about who God is and learning about who God is and what he's like is such an important part of putting on the armor that he's given us in our adult Sunday school uh, class on uh, chapter one of the confession, we were reminded of, of, of how this is true of all of God's revelation as a whole. It is a revelation of himself, general revelation, and, and particularly special revelation. It pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself, as the confession says. And we're certainly reminded that by this one verse. Just think about those two words truth and righteousness, such, such important attributes of God, truth and righteousness. And as we think about this armor, we are thinking about what God is like and that enables us to become what God is like. to think about what God is like is good. very good good exercise for your own private worship, your devotions as you're in the word, to meditate on the attributes. Of God. There's a a, a wonderful, of course, answer to the question that we recited together from our confession. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, his justice, his goodness, and his truth. Notice that last word there, his truth. There it is. And certainly, the word righteousness is not in that catechism answer, but clearly his righteousness is connected to his holiness, his justice, and his goodness. In the catechism, that God's righteousness is one of his chief attributes is made very clear in question 10, which is why I had us recite that as well. We're reminded that we are created in the image of God, and how are we created? In true knowledge and righteousness and holiness. Putting on the armor of God is part of, part of the work of God's Spirit and recreating us after God's likeness, a God of 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 truth and righteousness. But I want to I want us to think about this as a follow up question. You know, if you if you uh, even in your own private worship choose to recite the catechism, what is God like, and why is it good for you to recite that that answer? What kind of effect ought you to expect it to have on you when you recite those very words? You know, when you do so obviously in faith, not, not simply in vain repetition. This isn't like kind of casting a sort of magical spell and seeking to manipulate God to get, so, get something from him. But as we come to him in worship and truly meditate on what he is like, meditate on the, the scriptures and their revelation of God's attributes, Think about what this passage, this section where Paul teaches us about the armor of God and what it teaches us in terms of what we, how we ought to expect God to bless us as we meditate on his attributes. I would say this, in faith, expect the Lord to use it to strengthen you, to use, use that as a means by which you are made strong in the Lord. Do you feel weak this evening? Do you feel need of the Lord's strengthening, dear Christian? We saw last week that we live in this, this present darkness where all the powers of hell are waging war against us, a world which is so contrary to God's truth and righteousness. It's so easy for us to take our eyes completely off of God and to live in fear and in weakness. Maybe you find yourself living in a measure of fear about the upcoming election later in the year, right? Maybe you find yourself doubting that the process will be in every way carried out in perfect truth and in righteousness. I'm not trying to make any kind of political statement tonight about that, not at all. But frankly, it should not surprise us when at times we wonder if we're living in a world where elections are not always perfectly fair. And we do well, even as we meditate on God's attributes, to remember this evening, dear Christian, your ultimate hope is not in anything of the goodness, not in the goodness of this present darkness. Your hope is in the living God, and he is a God of truth. And righteousness, and it may, may it encourage us this is we remember this evening that that all the powers of hell, all of the the, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places that we were reminded of last week, none of them will ever do anything to change who God is as the God of truth and righteousness. He is indeed infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his truth and in his righteousness and in all his glorious attributes. Let that truth strengthen you. And I think that ought to strengthen us to remember that it is that in which he is clothing us as he gives us this spiritual armor, God's own attributes the God of truth and righteousness. Now, okay, it is true, right? You might not always be able to uh, trust the politicians and the governing authorities to to speak everything that's true and act in perfect righteousness. It's maybe something we're painfully aware of during a, a time of campaigning, right? But God will never lie. God cannot lie. To lie would be contrary to His character as the God of truth and righteousness. And those words speak not only to His character. But they also speak to his work, who he is, and what he does. What is it that God is doing? God is reigning as king over everything forever and ever. Think about the the, the Psalms and when they describe God as the God of righteousness And truth. Those are, those are kingship Psalms. Think of the words of Psalm 97 verses one through three. It says, let the, it says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. And it goes on to say, listen to this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, or another Psalm, Psalm 89, verse 14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness Go before you. The the, the, uh, the Hebrew word for righteousness, tzedek, is translated into septuagint with the very same Greek word we see in our text this evening, decaiosune the righteousness of God. And the word faithfulness in the Hebrew, emeth, is translated with the Greek word for truth, as we see it in our text, aletheia. So really those those words, truth and righteousness, should remind us of who it is ultimately who is reigning. It's the Lord. It's the God of heaven and earth. It is not corrupt governing authorities, not the devil himself. It's true that he continues to be ruler of this world for a time, but even as we were reminded recently in our reading of Job, Satan can do nothing but that which the Lord allows him to do. God is the one reigning. And the picture that we're given here in, the, in in those Psalms I've mentioned is not one who is, you know, on his throne, sitting on his hands and doing nothing. It's not like a, a lazy, corrupt magistrate who cares nothing of the people over whom he rules while he's, you know, in power only in order to, to benefit himself, such as people, such that his people are just suffering, suffering under his rule, and I'm from trying to encourage you. You could see this evening, if you're sometimes doubting that your leaders have your best interests in mind, be encouraged in remembering that with God as your king, you are not, we are not a people kind of hopelessly groaning under oppressive rule. God is king. What does it say? The Lord reigns, and the people do what? Let the people rejoice. Why? Because of his works because of his works on our behalf, because of his kingdom. And I think we do well that there's a reason I'm making this connection uh, to the Messian, to the, to the Christian armor. The, uh, the, the, the Christian armor uh, is connected to this kingdom warrior army, uh, imagery that we see in the Psalms. The Lord is a king. He's a warrior king. Who is this king of glory, the psalmist asked. psalm twenty four verse eight the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle it's, it's the Lord who comes and he he leads his people out into battle, He rules, he defends, he restrains, and he conquers all his and our enemies shorter catechism twenty six His people dwell in peace, safe and secure, under his kind. Kingly rule, and again his his reign is characterized by truth and righteousness. These kingship psalms are are messianic psalms. you know god he always reigned as king, of course, as God forever and ever. But here we find that, that God had promised that he will come, He will come in the person of the Messiah, He will come down and he will reign over his people in a special way. We see that not only in the psalms but also The prophets. In fact, flip over in your Bibles, if you'd like to see it yourself, to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 is a great messianic prophecy, and and this is background to Paul's description of the Christian's armor In our text, Isaiah chapter 11, you might recall the the context where God had promised to David that one of his own offspring, a son of David, would come. He says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, Second Samuel 7 verse 12. Of course, for a time, uh, the nation was destroyed because of their sin. It was like they they were a tree that had been cut off completely. But from that stump would grow, new life would come out. And that's what the promise speaks to. So uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. You can keep your, your finger there. But what a, what a beautiful description we have there. And talk about, talk about God's revelation of his own character and his work. It's, it's in the person of the Messiah that God will show himself to be the God of truth. And righteousness, but then look at the next verse five, where we we see the the messianic armor. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness or truth, faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Later uh, in Isaiah chapter fifty nine verse seventeen, it says he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And we know that these are all prophecies about Jesus, about the work that he would do. He would come and conquer sin and death. He would come as our savior, rescuing us, delivering us, saving us, saving us from the powers of darkness. He has brought us into the the kingdom, his own kingdom, the kingdom of the son of God. And so again, we see these these are the the background prophecies to paul's words, but amazingly what he what he taught what he then taught the Ephesians and teaches you and me this evening that is those who are in Christ Jesus. this is not just the messiah's armor, this is our armor and that that brings us to our second our last point. This evening, the way that this, this armor reveals to us not only God's own character and work, but God's work, God's, God's saving grace to and in the Christian. Of course, we're, we're still talking about God's work. God's grace is his work. This is about what he does, but it's a work that, uh, work that he does for us as well as a work that he does in us and through us and in all of these ways, he, he makes us to be soldiers in Christ Jesus. Soldiers. Think about a soldier this evening children can you imagine a soldier you know it was clear that paul is a good jewish boy he he knew those prophecies well clearly he was thinking about the old testament but also in god's providence paul was a roman citizen and he was one who was quite familiar with roman soldiers we might recall that time in acts chapter 21 where his own fellow countrymen the jews attacked him in the temple they were beating him to death and likely would have succeeded in so doing were it not for the intervention of a Roman centurion and his soldiers who rescued him. And even when Paul was writing this letter, he was a a prisoner in Rome. He was under house arrest. He had a soldier assigned to guard him. And all soldiers, all Roman soldiers, even prison guards, they were required to wear their armor. There's a good chance that Paul, even as he was writing this letter, he maybe had one eye on that soldier who was guarding him. And so he describes the armor here. We see tonight that the first piece of armor he mentions is the belt of truth with respect to a Roman soldier's armor. This, this may correspond to that, that, that leather apron that, that, that uh, would, would uh, protect the thighs on the soldier. It was to be strapped on securely. The command here is to belt up your waist, belt up your waist, with truth, kind of like uh, men understand what it's like sometimes when your belt is a bit loose and the pants are sagging a bit. And so you you have to pull it up, you know, and make sure it's secure, tighten up your belt. And we can imagine the soldier getting ready for action by pulling up that leather apron and tightening his belt. He needed that belt, but he also needed a breastplate of righteousness. That's the the second one we consider. This was covering the chest, obviously a very important area here that's protected the vital organs against a flying arrow or, you know, a blow from a a sword or something else. Very important to have that protection. And so, the, the command here is to put on the breastplate of righteousness. When we think about that, the, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, it's it's been debated here whether Paul is is thinking about our righteous standing in our justification or is he thinking about righteous living in our sanctification. I don't think we have to choose between those two because, as I mentioned last time, this Christian armor language, it's language about our union with Christ. We are to be strong, remember, in the Lord. We are in Christ and both our justification and our sanctification they are both benefits we enjoy in union with Christ distinct and yet inseparable benefits we enjoy but think about your justification it means that as a believer you have been forgiven and counted righteous in Christ. You are clothed in his righteousness. In that sense, it's not something you put on. It's something God has done for you. You have been forgiven. You have been counted righteous. This is all about what Christ has done for you, something that you have received simply by faith. And yet you are called to hold fast to that truth, Satan will come and he will attack that truth. He will attack you. He will come bringing accusations and condemning lies, if it was true, even of Job's friends, as we saw this evening. Certainly the evil one will come and he will attack. He will accuse. He'll say things like, look what you've done. God could never have forgiven you, right? You you could never enjoy a right standing before your God. If you find yourself having thoughts like that, attempted to believe such lies. You do well, do well to remember this evening that that's, that's part of spiritual warfare, kingdom warfare going on as we face those kinds of thoughts. Well, how will we respond? Well, here's your answer this evening, right? Stand fast. Fasten that belt of truth around your waist, around your waist. The truth is you have been forgiven. You are in Christ. You are to believe it. Hold fast to that truth. His righteousness does cover you. See that, that righteousness as, as a protection against the lies of the enemy. Satan wants to do everything he can to make you doubt it, right? to doubt that you're in Christ, to destroy your faith, to doubt that you will continue in Christ, or you were to, to counter that with the truth, all the truth that we've learned about, even in this letter. We think back to Paul's words in chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. See, the evil evil one would want to come and do everything he can to cause us to doubt our salvation, doubt the 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 the, the truth of Christianity altogether. Certainly, he would seeks to come and to confuse us and to lead us into false doctrine which is why it's so truth that we it's so so important that we uh, understand all of the truth gospel truth which has been revealed even in this letter he wants to destroy your faith altogether well how do you counter that how do we fight we 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 put on our kingdom armor the armor of truth that is we are to be saturated with the the, the truth of Christ that's why we're to diligently sit under the preaching of the truth, the gospel. That's why we are we're to diligently give ourselves to the, 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 uh, the study of God's word and his truth. That's how we respond to uh, the, the, the kind of error we saw in Job's miserable comforters who misunderstood or misinterpreted province, uh, providence, right? We give ourselves to God's truth. We speak only God's truth. We give ourselves to the the means of grace whereby God is uh, enables us to be built up in the truth. We are we're called to hold fast to the Word, hold fast to Christ's truth. And not only we are are, are we to uh, believe it and hold fast to it, but we're to live according to that truth. And that means live live righteous and upright lives. Truth. And righteousness this is about, this is about God's saving grace to and in you. God's work for you and in you and through you. So we see in some of the Psalms uh, in the reign of the Messiah King over his people, it's not only that he acts in truth and righteousness, but he, he reigns over his people in such a way as that he, 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 uh, preserves them and, and he leads them such that they are living in truth and in righteousness. There's justice. There's equity throughout all of the land. And that's a beautiful description of how God's people are called to live lives of truth and righteousness. That, that, that that's the, the, this is a description of, of life lived in the church. We are a people who speak the truth right? We don't deceive each other in order to uh, oppress one another. No, we we speak truth and we act in righteousness. We speak gospel speech. We even sing gospel songs to one another. As we saw in chapter 5, we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We don't go around speaking lies. We were reminded back in chapter 4, verse 25, that we are to put away falsehood We are to speak the truth to our neighbor because we are members of one another and not only are we to speak truth but we are always to speak in such a way that that, that, that we are uh, uh, that is in in keeping with the gospel of truth you can speak speak the truth in a wrong way as our catechism teaches us but we're to speak the truth in love we're to speak the truth in such a way as to build one another up 421 or 429 told us let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Or 432 Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the kind of conduct. That's the kind of speech which accords with the gospel, God's truth, God's righteousness, that righteousness which we enjoy as those who belong to Jesus Christ. I think all of these things, everything Paul has said, all of this, so much, so much we could say by way of application of the command to put on this, this armor of truth and righteousness but in a sense, Paul has made all of the application, and it's good for us to go back and meditate on all the commands that we've seen. Just as we're to, uh, to meditate on all of God's law, day and night. But as we close this evening, I would simply, I would simply say that that, that really, again, here again, the command is simply: you can do it. You have the armor. Stand fast. Just do it just do it just obey you know not not as nike says or not as that slogan has been taken but but in union with the lord jesus christ in union with him who's given you every grace clothed in his armor this is not this is not an emotional appeal for the sake of feeling good about yourself your abilities this is an appeal which is based upon christ and his honor. This is a a great call to contend for the honor and the glory of him who is the king of truth and righteousness. Just do it. No, not by tapping into your own spirit of ambition, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, the very one who enables us to walk in those good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just do it. It's not a call to to overcome obstacles in the pursuit of your own dreams. This is a call to pursue and to act according to the will of him who is your master. A call simply this evening to take up your place in his kingdom and do justly and love mercy and walk humbly before him, your God. Brothers and sisters, tighten up your belts, right? Put on your armor, put on that breastplate of righteousness. Stand forth and go, go go, then and fight the good fight of the faith by the strength and for the glory of him who is our everlasting king of truth and righteousness. May God help us to do it. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we confess our great need of your grace to help us to do just that. Father, we confess again this evening that we are weak, that we are sinful, but how we bless you, that in Christ Jesus, you've become our great salvation. You've become our strength and our song, indeed our truth and our righteousness. And so, Lord, come to us, we pray again. Uh, Enable us to believe what you have taught us. Strengthen our faith. Empower us under greater obedience. Help us in every way to live as your kingdom people in every way to live for the glory of Jesus, our great King. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen.